All right, well, wow, what a great afternoon of worship, great time of fellowship. And uh, I'm excited to share this lesson. I got to do it with the 9 a.m. service, but I'm thinking maybe this lesson is more for me than you, but we'll find out. The title of it is, I'm just going to say, I need passion. Because maybe we don't need it, because I'm sensing a lot of passion this, this afternoon. But maybe when you're away from this, you need passion too. So, we need passion. See, earlier this week, uh, we had a really great couple from the Santa Gralita Valley Church there in California. Uh, Ron and Cheryl Hammer were in town. They actually spoke at the other region. I'll try to get them next time. But uh, they did come on Monday and actually got to teach all the staff. And I, I just have to say, as a preacher, we need to be preached to too. And so it was so great as Ron got all the guy staff separated and Cheryl got with the women. And, and he really just challenged and inspired us. And really this topic about passion. And he shared this passage that really we may have heard before, but it, it, it's, just, it's an interesting passage. And so I want to share it with you, because maybe you'll get something new from it that even I didn't. I'm trying to set my timer here so I stay on time. Doesn't want to do it. Maybe God's just saying, preach long, man. Go for it, go. Go for it. Oh, now it worked. Someone prayed right now. It just started working. But we find the passage in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14 through 19. In the context, obviously we have the divided kingdom, we have the prophets preaching to eat the kingdoms, you have good kings, bad kings. In this particular case, we're at the very last days of the prophet Elisha, along with the king Jehoash. So it says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. We don't know what that illness was, but we knew that he would die from it. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him, and wept over him. So we obviously, there was this close relationship with Elisha and Jehoash. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Now remember, he was sick. He was suffering, but he, he actually like grabbed the hands almost like he's helping him do it. Like, like if you're helping someone with a golf, golf shot. Got behind him there. That's probably a little awkward. I'm not sure. He goes, take the bow in your hands, said the king. And when he had taken Elisha, put his hands on the king's hands. And he says, open the east window, he said. And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, Take the arrows, obviously the ones he didn't shoot, and the king took them. Elisha told him, Strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to put myself in the king's feet for a minute, and I'm struggling. Because I did everything you said. I followed direction, and I'm getting rebuked. Ever been there? Oh yeah, I mean, there's, a lot, there's more hands out there. I know there is. And then he's like, well, well, but come on. I mean, let's just be honest. Did he say how many times to strike the ground? No, he didn't. And yet he's rebuked for it. And unwittingly, whether he realized or not, 
He determined his eventual military success. So what's this moral of the story? What's the lesson? I think the question that only can be answered that makes this make any sense, it's a question of passion. And the phrase that sticks out to me is as he struck it three times and he stopped. He didn't wait till Elisha said to say stop. He didn't just keep pounding until he had to stop because there's no arrows left. He chose when to stop and therefore limited the victory that actually God had already promised. And I don't know about you, as I, as I, as I really let that sink in for a minute, it scares me because I think, how many times am I missing out on total victory because of my lack of passion? We can see this in so many areas of our life. The difference between something done without passion and something done with passion. I'm going to give you an example. Hassan, you want to come up here for a second? I'm going to show you the difference. You tell me. Okay, there's this. Hey, bro. One, two, three. Or there's, bro. Mm. So, which one had more passion? But it was also more awkward. Yeah, okay, you you go back down. You go back down. But here's what I think is the problem. We have passion police. In fact, we are passion police. We turn down people when they show too much passion. Calm down, brother. Relax. Chill out, sister. And what I realize is I've done that myself. There are certain individuals that's like, man, calm down. And then I realize it's not a problem that they're passionate. What I don't like is it reveals I'm not. That's the real issue. It's not about them. And so I think how many areas of our life we just strike three times and we stop. When if we kept striking, God would give us what He promised, a total victory. I don't know about you, that passage just frightens me. You know, he was only two to three strikes away from total victory. Because I said five or six. So if he just did two more, total victory. How many times have we quit? And that's why I was so encouraged by the story there uh, with Tracy, you know, uh, Carrie's neighbor for 16 years. What if she had stopped striking at four years? Five years? 15 years. It took that 16th year. And there was total victory for Tracy. And victory for us as we have a new member of our family. What about purity? What about your finances? What about confession? We confess so much, but because we don't confess at all, we don't really get healed. Uh, That's why I really appreciate what Chris shared earlier. Where do we limit ourselves? Because we lack passion. Because the funny thing is, we're all capable of it. Any football fans out there? Okay, right there you just proved you have passion. You went, and you didn't even care what anyone thought. See, we start caring what people think of us because we don't actually have passion. Because when you have passion, you don't care. You don't. You don't mind being awkward. I think we got to have more hugs where it's awkward. Now, I know some of us, 
are not physical touch people. So, you know, you got to figure out who that is. But I remember Marvin Lucas. Everyone know Marvin Lucas? Oh, that dude, man. He, he would come hug you. And if you resisted at all, oh, man, he would not let go for like 10 minutes. He would just... And so I learned eventually, just give in, Derek. Just give in. And I would just give in, and he'd let go because it's no fun for him anymore. So I've learned, just give in, man. Just give in. Let it be awkward. Show some passion. But this is really challenged to me. You know, there's a great passage in Romans 12, 11. It says, never be lacking in zeal. Is that a command? I do think it's phrased as a command. Because the you is not mentioned, but you know it's you. Never, you, you all, all of us, be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, I know you're here because you serve the Lord. But how are we doing with the two commands that preceded it? Now, what's so cool is, you know, that is one advantage I think I'm enjoying, and I'm finding passion is learning Greek. I'm in my Greek class now, and it's, it's, it's a little tough, but it's allowing me to look at some of these New Testament Greek texts and see things I wouldn't have seen before. Now, you don't need to know Greek to know the Scriptures. Translations are great, okay? There's a lot of great translations. But every once in a while, there's these little interesting nuggets. Let's break down never be lacking in zeal. Lacking. We find this word in the Greek. It's okineros. Okay? This means hesitating. Unready. Timid. In other words, never be unready. Never hesitate. Never be timid. That's what it's saying. And then zeal, you know, never be lacking in zeal, we find the Greek word apoude, which means haste, speed, zeal, pursuit, exertion. Never hesitate in being urgent. Because urgent is not just about speed, it's about passion. It's about a conviction. It's about wanting something accomplished. But notice it's never be lacking in zeal, Keep your spiritual fervor. Fervor. In English, that's a noun, right? But what's interesting in the Greek, it's not a noun. It's a verb. And here's the verb that is translated fervor. Zeo. This verb means to boil. You should be boiling for Jesus. But here's the problem. Can water boil itself? Nope. How does water boil? You need a source of heat. So if we're not having a lot of passion, the real issue is, are we near the source? The heat. Try cooking spaghetti in water that's not boiling. Doesn't work very well. Now here's the cool thing. We're not all just water. Some of us are boiling. And if you get near a boiling water, you get hot too. What this shows me is we can't keep passion on our own. Passion's infectious. Have we not witnessed it with the way our worship team has brought passion? You sense the difference. Their passion has infected us that we become more passionate. But I think a lot of us Our lives have become so scheduled strangely that often our faith is practiced in private. And therefore we wane in different areas of our Christian life. 
But I don't think you ever wane in all things, because if you did, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> okay? So some of us, our water needs to start boiling. Maybe it's in an area like evangelism. That, that's the area I'm really convicted by personally. Leanne and I were even talking about, it's like, what happened to our, our passion for the lost? Because we have to admit, it's not where it used to be. We used to go to a foreign country speaking a language we didn't even know, and it's something we did every single day. Why is it just not the same feeling and desire and energy as it was then? What's going on? But it's amazing when God puts a family like the Andersons near you, who have this natural passion in that area, it just starts getting infectious on you. You, get, you start believing again. So if there's an area in your life where your water's not boiling, look around the room and find out who's boiling. And go get near them and trust me, you're near boiling water, you'll get hot too. And those of us who are boiling, we know we are. Why don't you share that with someone who's not? We do this together. Passion is infectious in community. Passion left to our own strength probably will wane over time. Now, this really made me think, okay, what are the recipes for passion? Because I don't want you to get the mistake that passion means being loud. Okay? That, that's not the case. We're all different personalities. You can have very quiet people be very passionate. Okay? So I don't want you to get confused. You can sometimes be deceived by me thinking I'm passionate when I'm just being loud. Is it, I, you can confirm it. It's okay. You won't hurt my feelings. I know it's true. Gordon's had me listen to my sermons and listen how loud I am sometimes. Okay? So I, I know. Passion is something else than just being gregarious, more than just being enthusiastic. It's something internal than that's expressed. And I found this image that I think really defines the ingredients of passion. Let's show this picture. It begins with desire. If you don't have desire, there's no way you're going to have passion. Right? Passion begins with the desire that there's this, this, this inner desire to see something, to do something, to be something. The greatest enemy of great is good enough. That's our enemy. And our Christian life can be just about good enough. We need desires that's bigger than that. We need desires that go beyond that. And you know people who have strong desires. Like our Van Alstine Sherman group, man. They got some strong desires to evangelize that area of the world. Yeah, I heard it. You can say it. It's alright. And someone was like, would you stop it? Would you pipe down, please? Why do we say that? Are they wrong to have that passion? No, I think it's because we don't have that passion that it can sometimes irritate us. Let's just be honest. We need desire. What do you desire right now spiritually? If your desires are more about secular or worldly things, then no wonder our spiritual passion begins to fade. I even feel this trap with going to school that sometimes the school thing can become a stronger desire than my time just reading the Word for myself. I have to fight that. We've got to have desire. The second thing, go back to that image, please. A sense of urgency. Someone who's passionate, they don't wait. They may have a plan. They may know it might not happen today, but there's this, this sense of urgency, man. We've got to get this done. When someone's passionate about something, they share it. Right? There's this urgency. I want other people to know. Any Eagles fans out there? Yeah. See? That's all I have to say, because, man, they won the Super Bowl, and they're the champion until they're dethroned. 
Right? And the minute they won, didn't you want other people to know? Yeah. Quickly, too, right? Oh, yeah, especially any Cowboys fans. But anyways, uh, yeah, there's this urgency. So here's my question. What do we actually have an urgency for sharing with one another? Is it the latest news or what we get from the Word of God? It's just a question. Where's our sense of urgency? That's passion. And then the third one, there's emotional investment. You're willing to look a little weird. You just are. It looked awkward the way I hugged Hassan there. It was a nice hug though. You know, I actually was told right before this, Robert King was sharing with me, do you know what the length of time a healing hug is? 20 to 30 seconds. Oh, there you go. So I want all of you... I'm just kidding. I know you were you, you were struggling right there. I get some of you are like, yeah, 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 bring it on, and others are like, ah. <laughs> but if you want to be healed in your hug, you got to get a little awkward. You got to invest emotionally, right? See, there we go. We got some there. All right. I'm not gonna force it on you. All right. But I think those ingredients. They have nothing to do with being loud. It has nothing to do with personality, whether you're A personality or B personality. It has to do with something from the inside. So I believe there's a parable of Jesus that I look at completely different when I look at through this lens of passion or not. Let's look at the parable of the talents. In Matthew 25, verse 14, and I'm even going to try to bring some passion into reading it. Because I think sometimes, even as we read the Bible, we start reading it like a newspaper, like a textbook. And I, I think when we read the Word of God, man, there's, there's got to be some passion in it. It says again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put the money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. See, so often we've looked at this more about results. But the reality is, as we continue to read, the results that Jesus seems to be really looking at is not the product, but the passion involved. Let's look at it further. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received the five talents brought the other five. You know he did. You think he would like, wait? Hey, Master, I got five more. He's passionate. He's excitement. Master, I'm ready. No, no, call me, bro. I'm ready. You gave me five? I got five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share. Your master's happiness! Exclamation mark. 
The man with two talents also came. Or did he go, no, I'm not going to come because, man, I don't have five. See what happens when we compare ourselves? But we got to remember the beginning of the parable. He gave each according to their ability. God is not expecting you to do more than you have the ability to do. And here's something I realized. Our abilities change over time. Right? Those of us who were converted as college students. Who, who out there was converted as a college student? Many, many years ago. I won't say how many. Can you keep up that same level today? Married? Job? Family? Aging? No. Aging. We've got to be honest. I feel it. No. So I think even in our life, our weight changes. And that's what's so interesting. The actual word talent means a weight of silver. It doesn't mean gift as often we use it. Talent. Talent in this actual context is a weight of silver. So it's not just about money. It's about a responsibility. Each was given according to their ability, to according to the weight they could handle. You're like, well, I think God has too high of a vision for me because He's given me more than I can handle. I, I understand that. I've been there. You know, He says He doesn't let you tempt it beyond what you can bear. God, I don't think you have a higher view of me than I do. Right? But the reality is, it's not about the product. It's about the passion. The two had as much passion as the one with five. How do we know that? Because look at what it happens. It says, I, you entrusted me with two talents. See, he's just as excited as the other guy. Look, look. He's not like, oh, oh, master, he had five. I only got two. He didn't say that. He's like, master, you gave me two? See, he's excited just like the other guy. I have two more. His master replied, I can't believe you didn't do as much as the other guy. Doesn't say that, does it? Got to read our scriptures. What's he say? The exact same thing he says to the guy who brought five. What's that tell us? It's about the passion. It's not about the result. They had the same passion, even though the result might have been different. I love that. He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And now we get to the man who received the one talent. Which, by the way, in case you're wondering, well, maybe his reaction was because he was only given one. But do you have any idea what one talent actually is? One talent is about 6,000 days of wages. That's a lot. That's a lot of responsibility. So he wasn't shortchanged, man. He was still given a lot. But look at his response. So the man who received the one talent came master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man. Whoa, what a different attitude. I don't sense passion. I sense anger. I don't sense excitement. I sense critical and negativity. You are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid... And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is what belongs to you. See, he never took ownership. It was never, he never made it his. And that's what happens when we don't have passion. It's not ours. We may go through the motions. We may follow directions. One, two, three. But it's not ours. 
He promised him, you will have complete victory. He didn't take ownership. Man, if you had just struck that five or six times, it would have been so much different. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. He's not agreeing with him. He's asking a question. Is this really what you think of me? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. In other words, if you don't have the passion, at least borrow it from somewhere. Go get with people that have passion about it. The bankers at least have passion about it. They want your money. Right? He didn't do that. Take the talent from him and give it to one who has ten. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. What's the issue? I think it's the level of passion. The level of zeal. The level of, of taking ownership. This is my faith. This is my responsibility. This is what God has given me. But let's just be honest, especially for many of us who've been doing this a long time, it's hard to maintain your passion. It's hard to get it. It's hard to keep it. And it's hard to get it back when you lose it. But you can. And that's something I want to do the rest of this fall when I'm preaching. I'm letting the other guys kind of share whatever on their heart. But I'm going to study out different examples of passion. How do you get it? How do you keep it? What do you do when you lose it? How do you get it back? Because I want to have that passion back. I want to have that energy. I want to have it where people say, calm down, Derek, rather than wake up. Because that's who I used to be. I want to be that awkward hugger that you push away rather than drive-by. Just saying. I'm just as guilty. One, two, three. No, I'm going to go one, two. I won't lean into you. That might be awkward for you. But. No, but seriously, we need that passion back in so many different areas of our life. See, their passion was the same. They both were excited about what they were given, and they did something with it. What are you most passionate about? And is it something for God, or is it something for yourself? You know, this world needs more passionate people. Because passion is infectious. You see it during times of tragedy. When passionate people roll up their sleeves, get out and get dirty, and help their brother and sister. It's infectious. It's exciting. I just I met a guy in the fellowship. He's, he's planning on doing a, a thing to get, get some fundraising himself just to go down there and help, just like he did in Houston. I love that kind of passion. Jesus. He added something to passion we all need. It's called compassion. See, because we can all be fired up, but be unloving. He was passionate with love. He was compassionate. Something I have to work on. I can get excited. I can get riled up but I can be unloving too. I want to be more like Jesus where it's compassion. But you got to understand what weight can you carry. It changes. And that's okay. And we can help one another. Where do we need passion? 
I think we need passion in our walk with God. I hear it often. I don't feel anything. Is that God's fault? I don't think so. Because He's hot. If you get near Him, you'll start boiling. So there's something in our life, something that's deterring us, and I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to try to figure it out. I'm going to look and examine the different examples in the Bible and see what can get us fired up and what interferes in having that passion in our walk with God. Now, am I saying that every day, 24-7, you're going to feel like you're walking on air? No, that's not reality. But we can wake up every morning going, I'm excited to get with God, even if it's challenging, even if I'm rebuked. Or I'm encouraged, man, what's going to happen today with God? We need passion. We need passion in imitating Jesus. Let's stop worrying about attendance to everything, and let's focus on being like Jesus in everything. We need passion in that. You're not going to be like Jesus if you don't have passion, if you don't invest emotionally, if you don't have a sense of urgency. I'm challenged. We need passion in our prayer life. That's something we want to bring back even in our services, and especially with our elders and shepherding couples, is to have moments in our services where we pray together. Where we pray passionately. Loud cries and tears is how Jesus prayed. He didn't care what anyone thought. Because man, when you know you need God, you don't care what anyone else thinks about it. We need to bring back passion in our prayers. We need passion in our mission. And when I mean the mission, I mean the full mission of Jesus. That's both seeking and saving the lost and serving rather than being served. His mission was both the poor and those who need salvation. We need both. You can sense it. When you're you're doing that mission with passion, it changes you and it's infectious. All you have to do is look over here and see the group that went to Mexico Youth Corps. It's been weeks since they've been and the passion's still there. Every time I see them meet up, it's like... What am I going to do next? They sang the Spanish the loudest in the song. And if some of us like, would you calm down? It's over. That was a couple weeks ago. No, we should go, that's awesome you've maintained that energy, that zeal, that passion. Man, maybe I need to go do a youth corps. Which, by the way, there are volunteer corps. That's where adults go to. I encourage you, go try it. Do it with your family. There's something about being with passionate people doing passionate things. It changes you. We need passion in our relationships. How's your marriage really doing when it comes to romance? I don't know about you, but it's easy to wane. We, well, Leanne and I have to fight for that. We've got to find those times. We've got to get those getaways. We've got to have those dates. And I'm not saying I'm great at it. It's something I have to always work on, but I, I enjoy working on it. Because when it happens, man, I feel awesome. I have an amazing woman to live my life with. How's your romance? How's your passion in your marriage? How's your passion if you're single with your brothers and sisters? How is it? Is there passion in that? Or it's like you come over and hey, hey. And would you clean that up? Or is it like, bro! And go give them that awkward hug when they walk in. We've got to have more passion in our relationships. But we need passion in our purpose. Whatever that is for you. Because we each have different purposes in the church, yet one purpose in becoming like Christ. What is yours? Talk about it. Because if you're passionate about it, you'll talk about it. It's like the whiteheads, man. They're passionate about health. Mind, body, soul, baby. Start back up. They're passionate about it. And I love that because... 
they're later in life and they go, man, I want to have something to put my heart into and they found it. Don't you want that? And when I retire, I'm not going to retire on my purpose. Right. I want to still be passionate. In fact, now I'm free to do it more. I love the Hoopers and their passion to go on cruises. I want to imitate that. They always ask me, it's like, is it okay that we go away? No, please do. That's precedent for the rest of us. It's awesome. Bon voyage. So remember when it comes back to our time, you say yes, they can go. Okay? We need passion in our purpose. I want to close by again reading the passage in Romans 12. I'm going to read four different translations. Because sometimes you just got to hear it a little differently to really get how important it is that we need passion in our lives. The first one in NIV. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Boil for Jesus serving the Lord. The CSB. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. I like this one, the Amplified. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit serving the Lord. I like that one. And Romans 12, 11 in the Net Version. Do not lag in zeal. Be enthusiastic in Spirit. Serve the Lord. Guys, together... We need passion. Let's get close to the source. Let's start boiling for Jesus. Let's close with a prayer passionately to our Lord. Lord God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for these examples, these principles that though at first are challenging, they make me struggle because we've been in those shoes. Well, we've gone through the motions. We've followed direction and yet it's revealed We've kind of just done it without passion in our hearts. You want more than just our deeds and work. You want our heart and soul. In all that we do, it says do it all with your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's, you're wanting passion. You're wanting zeal. But God, help us not to have zeal without knowledge. Help it to be defined by Jesus' example of passion. In fact, give us compassion for its love that never fails. God, I pray that each one of us can examine our hearts this week. Find where we are lacking in zeal and help us to boil again. But at the same time, also help us to see where we are zealous for the Lord, where we are boiling for Jesus, and help us to share that with others. God, we know that if we're zealous for You, if we're passionate with You and in You, then we could truly be a light to this lost world. Thank You for the example of Jesus, whose zeal so consumed Him, He cleared out the temple. Help us to clear out our schedules, our temples, our fears, our insecurities, so that we can trust in You again and let that fire grow in our hearts. So much so, like Jeremiah says, we can't keep it to ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.